Welcome to day two of Iron Talks 2018 Kona Super Specials. Right here, team, welcome along to day two of the Iron Talks Kona Super Special 2018 with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. Champion Coach John Newsom, I should say. That's right, Bevan. That's right. It's been building. I've, I've been building for the last... Five oh, years. Five or well, ten years, really. Yeah. And this is the crescendo. Well, and someone did say it's always really interesting when the person who makes the handicaps wins the race. So what we're talking about is the wetsuit, the World Championship of Wetsuit Aquathons. If you're a new listener to the show, what we do is we swim from the coffee boat. At it's about 400 metres. About 400 metres. It seemed, when you're swimming out there, you're going, it doesn't look that far, and then you keep swimming, keep swimming, keep yeah. swimming. It's a reasonable distance. Yeah. So we swim about 400 metres into shore in our wetsuits. Then we transition and run down to Lava Java and back. Still wearing our wetsuits, still wearing our swim caps. If you take your swim cap off, you got a penalty. And if you had a sleeveless wetsuit, you got a penalty. Andrew Lawrenson was out there. He had a, a, a brekker style uh, wetsuit, so I gave him an additional penalty. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, yeah, those penalties all seem to. John, work I in had my an favor. interesting moment for my wetsuit because I was quite proud of the fact because I only wear a wetsuit every two years now mm-hmm. to do the aquathon. I don't swim in between time because that's just foolish. And I put the wetsuit on, and it's always a gauge on my weight. Mm. I'm thinking, I'm, you know what? I'm still holding it together. Then I bend over. What happened to my wetsuit, John? I split my buttholes. <laughs> so, so time for a new wetsuit. My Blue 70 Energy has finally had its last day. John, the Iron Talk Kona Super Specials are proudly brought to you by... Endurance Sports Travel. Kingla's amazing business that helps you have an amazing experience at races all around the world. Who so? Uh, they are a device to help calm you and relax you and help you perform better in life and as an athlete. Lava Java. I had an amazing breakfast this morning. If you're in Kona and you're not going to Lava Java, you're making a mistake. Head to Lava Java. It's a great place for some food. And extreme endurance. Our, our traditional sponsor have been giving away lots of Fuel 5. John's been racking off the people who are here left, right and centre. Uh, great products, great supplements. Check them out. ExtremeEndurance.com. And our patrons, John. We have. We met a number of them this morning. So you'll hear from them later in the show. Really appreciate everybody who supports us, do what we do, gets us over here every second year as well as producing all the shows uh, every other week of the year. And let's be honest, the big reason we're here is because the patrons pay for us to be here. So for everyone who's enjoying listening to this, it's thank you to our patrons. So if you are a patron of the show, thank you very much for that. And if you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. Guys, in today's show, it's another interview-packed show. John, what's happening? We have Craig Alexander, multiple world champion over here. We met up with him yesterday morning at the Team Kiwi at New Zealand uh, Australia Breakfast. Then we've got uh, Kevin Collington. Um, what I, and I really enjoy doing interviews with Kevin and also Matt Schrabot. Both of those guys are American athletes. Um, won Ironman races in the last 12 months, but, but perhaps athletes you've not he- heard of before because they're sort of second tier athletes but they're in that big group that potential top tenors yeah um so one of them might get there but, um we'll wait and see but i always like to highlight some of those good really good second tier athletes that have the chance of sort of breaking through we had we had an interview yesterday with a lady called ellie goodall and ellie is an australian it's interesting they've got the ambassadors now mm-hmm. so i'm not quite sure if the ambassador means it's going to be a part of the story of the is that how it works it's I think it's fairly new. Like they, the, the ambassadors they had for New Zealand and Australia sounds like they only found out not that long ago. Yeah, like that they were in the last kind of eight six, weeks, six, six, six yeah. or eight weeks yeah. or so. Uh, so it's it's some great stories. So I'm in, in support of it. Uh, but her story 
is fascinating yeah so we got her on we talked talk to her she's had a pretty amazing journey and a pretty inspirational person so we got her and then we this morning at lava java when we we're having our amazing breakfasts we hung out with a few of the, the listeners of the show and we got a few age group interviews from people just like you out here who have managed to get to kona and talk about some of their experiences so we're going to chuck a few of those on as well so basically what's going to happen over an next period of time it's going to be interview interviews we'll, we'll jump in a couple of times for some sponsors and we'll see you at the other end of the show there it is. Test, test, test. Okay, I've got uh, Craig Alexander, three-time champion, next to me right now. How are you feeling, mate? Feeling good. I'm relaxed. Obviously, I'm not racing on Saturday, so I'm just, uh, yeah, just having a fun week, working with some sponsors, doing a little bit of media work, and I've got my wife, Neri, with me. It's the first time she's been back since I raced here, so that's been four or five years now, and, you know, I'm enjoying having her back, because obviously, when I was racing here, it was a lot more of a stressful lead into the race, and... Yeah, we're having a nice social week and just trying to enjoy the atmosphere. We're seeing your name still pop up in races and, and still perform bloody well. Uh, wh- 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 how, how does the shift in your career happen in this kind of later part of your career? And what are you trying to, when you go to a race, kind of what is different? Is it pretty much the same? Just tell us what the race experience is now. I think when you're a racer, you're always a racer. You can't just, after 20 years, rewire your brain to, I go to races to perform at my very best and I prepare that way. The thing is, I just can't be at my best with three young children, some business opportunities, a lot of travel. So what I try to do is just keep the training bubbling along at a maintenance level. And if I get a six or seven week gap in the schedule, I ramp the training up and try and pick a race to do. But when I go to the races, I go there to, to perform at my best. And, you know, I haven't raced much the last, well, I had a broken collarbone 12 months ago and some broken ribs, but yeah, I won a race up in China three weeks ago. I got second at the Sunny Coast 70.3 behind Tim Reed. I got a second in Leo Zhou in China, 70.3 behind Alistair Brownlee. So I still like to roll around the course and have fun, and I'm not embarrassing myself just yet. But it's, I think when you're a racer, it's in your blood. And what can I say? I love it. I, I do like the way I feel when I train. So for me, it's not about winning races. I don't think I get judged so much on that. I mean, I, I think when I perform, there's always a level of expectation, but I have that myself. Um, you know, I haven't raced championship races for a few years now, and but I still... I'm a competitor and when I race, I race to put out the best performance I can and you know, I think I've shown the last couple of years anyway that's been good enough for podium finishes in big races and I'm still driven when I get out there. I'm as motivated. The body's certainly not what it used to be but the mind is, is still the same and, and I still love it as much so while it's not negatively impacting on the business and other things I've got going, the coaching business and, and a lot of my travel these days is where it used to be for training camps and training purposes, it's more promotional work now, and I'm lucky to have some great supportive sponsors. But when I race, it's for me, it's, yeah, it's still about the performance, um, and that's where the enjoyment comes from. You had a very successful career, so there's lots of markers to prove that you were very successful, but often after we've given up something to a level, at least, you know, like I know you're still racing, but it's not the same commitment, uh, there's some learnings that we go, I wish I knew that when I was racing. So what are some of the things that life has taught you after the fact, that maybe you wish you knew during the fact? I think you're always learning and for better or worse you can't really fight who you are. The the successes you have are because of the way you process information and the way you're why, but it can also be your downfall as well. Yeah, I mean, I often look back and think I wish I had have enjoyed the wins a lot more, Um, but for me it was always about the next one and being better, improving. It was just a constant process of trying to be the best version of myself as an athlete and because I would win a race, that meant I'd had a good day and beaten everyone else, but maybe I had still felt there was some room for improvement. And that's what, for me, that was the journey. That was the enjoyment. And I think it wore on a lot of the people around me. 
Um, so that was one of my learnings. Maybe I needed to take that away and compartmentalise it or package it off on my own. I can remember being here, I think it was 2009, and I just won my second title and I was in the recovery after the race and I was getting a drip. And my wife Neri was on the phone back home and, um, you know, I'm like, give me the phone, give me the phone. And she's like, who do you want to ring? I'm like, I don't want to ring anyone. I want to make some notes about what happened in the race today. Oh, even in that moment. Yeah, and she was like, can you just relax and enjoy it? And But that's who I was. And I guess one of my greatest attributes was I was self-aware. I understood for better or worse what I was. But I, I guess what I didn't understand is how it could impact on those around you. And I think as, as an athlete, it's one of those professions where you're so... I don't want to say selfish, but you are selfish to some degree. There's a lot of self-analysis. Am I sleeping enough? Am I doing the right sort of training? What's my schedule like? There's a lot of me, me, I, I, self-evaluation. And sometimes you have the blinkers on to everything else that's going on in life. And, and I know they say that you have to be that way, and maybe you do it. And I, everybody's different. I can only speak for myself. For me, I, I was able to perform that way. But I, you know, my wife actually posed the question. She said, "You know, did you enjoy the wins here as much as you could have or you should have?" And I enjoy them now, and I always knew I would. But at the time, I felt I was still in the sweet spot of my career, and it was more about taking the learnings from each race, win or lose, and move forward and be better. Because I felt that was my job, and I was driven to improve and get better. So, on the day you won your last championship here, you, you pretty much had a perfect day. Even after that race, was that the case? Well, I didn't have a perfect day because I stopped and cramped. I lost so much. I lost a lot of time in the last 7K. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, so... I you smashed the bike? Okay, I, yeah. I forgot the cramp. So, so I, I ran a 2.43 that day, but I was on pace to run sub 2.40 right up until three or four miles to go. Okay. So whilst everyone was happy, I, I, was, I was very happy. Yeah. But then my best mate who knows me well said, yeah, you left a little time out on the course. I'm like, you know Prick. what? <laughs> well, I didn't say that. He knew me well. Yeah. And he knew that everyone was around patting me on the back. But I think every athlete and every person needs someone in their corner who will often tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And he, this friend of mine, John, he was always that for me. And he was more, he was a professional footballer when he was young, but he was in the corporate world at that point. But he, he knew me well. And he could see everyone patting me on the back all the time. And, and he was very proud of me. No one was more proud of me than he was, but as was his way, he always delivered those little bits of information that landed well with me because I knew he only had my best interests at heart. I'm like, you know what, he's right, actually. I stopped four or five times there and I was walking a bit and so it wasn't the perfect performance. Even though it was the record-breaking performance, I did actually leave a bit of time out there. So, yeah, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You know, it was interesting when Pete was interviewing me there, you talk about what it feels like to have won three times here and it feels wonderful, but... As a professional athlete, any pro athlete will tell you that for every great victory, there's a lot of soul-destroying defeats as well. You you lose more than you win, and that's the nature of the profession. And all of the experiences impact you in some way and, and shape you and form you moving forward. So I think I was, whilst I probably maybe didn't enjoy the wins at the time as much as I could have, I'm enjoying them now, rest assured. And I also took a lot of learnings from the wins and the losses. So I think, you know, you never as... You never is. I'm good. How are you? Good luck. <laughs> hang around. Hang, hang around. So you never, you know, some good advice I got is you, you never, when you win, you're never as good as people say you are. And when you lose, you're not as bad as they say you are either. So that was good advice because I think I was able to enjoy the wins, but not go overboard and get carried away and not rest on my laurels, but try and improve. 
and I was able to get through the defeats and get over them, but also get learn from those as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you look back and you think, what could have I done different? One thing I do look at now is how the sport has changed and the technology with recovery and nutrition and the bikes. The bikes are just, compared to five or ten years ago, they're beautiful. If you're into bikes, it's you know, Race Week in Kona, a lot of the companies, they release new models and new, new bikes. And I think the technology's improved in and around. And also the knowledge how we use. I know when I first started in Kona, bike fitting became a big thing. But what we didn't know was how to fit properly for triathlon. We were trying to copy the Pro Tour and now bike fits are more triathlon specific. I just think the knowledge around the sport's a lot greater. Um, and as Pete talked about, you know, it's the 40th anniversary of this race and the sport's probably only 45 years old. So compared to a lot of sports, we are quite young. But what I've really enjoyed the last my, through my racing here in the five years since is just, I think as a sport, we're growing up and we're learning and the technology is coming in and we're using it. There's different training softwares. A lot of this stuff, I'm old school. I'm not into gimmicks and gadgets for the sake of it, but a lot of the stuff is really valuable stuff. Those, you know, training softwares and also... Yeah, things like I guess your training peaks, ways to um, archive and up, uh, archive your training history, but also things like Zwift, um, different ways to train and and what we know. I mean, back in the day, ten years ago, it was near impossible to get a sweat test unless you went to one of the big institutes of sport. Now you can do portable sweat tests. So I think the knowledge in and around the sport has grown, but the way we you implement it is a lot better. Um, that's great. I think the you know, sports progress and and improve and. Um, that's what's happening in triathlon. Just, just with this weekend's race, if you were a peak and you're, and you're, you know, you're, you're a competitor this weekend, like, everyone says you kind of race the race, you know. And but how would, what would, if you're looking at the field, what would be your thinking and your strategy around how to race this race based on the field you see this year? Well, the way you race the race is kind of irrelevant to the field you see each year. You've got to race to your strengths. You can't be oblivious to who is in the race and and trying to, I guess, cross over some of your race strategy and your strengths with other athletes who you might be able to utilize and who may be able to help you either with pacing or you know their strengths and weaknesses this person athlete x for example is strong at the end of the bike typically so um, i might use them as someone to key off the last 60 kilometers at the end of the day though you know things go inside because a lot of it's media driven and a lot of it's actually in fairness to the media a lot of it's athlete driven because now with social media yeah. everyone's got a voice people want to tell you what their workouts are like and how good they're going and what run times they're doing, what powers they're putting out. But at the end of the day, like last year I stood out in that course and you never really know what the conditions are like out, but it looked like pretty good conditions. And obviously in a 40 year history of a race, I think there'd only been two bike splits under 420. And then last year there, I think there were six or seven. So you know the conditions are quick and they're hot mixing more of the road each year. But also the athletes, I think the technology is getting better. I think the athletes who are coming, like Cam Worth is a pro cyclist at the top of his game. Like we've had a few Tour de France guys come in retirement, but not a guy who was right, right in the thick of the peloton at the height of his powers come here and race. So he's possibly the best bike rider we've ever seen in our sport. Um, but even with Uber bikers as such, and what I consider to be, it's always tougher conditions here, but relatively speaking, I thought last year were relatively good conditions. First and third on the podium came from riding four hours 30. So when you stand out and watch that, and you watch those guys get off, I think they're in 23rd and 24th position, and didn't run exceptionally quick in the first half of the marathon. They just, particularly Patrick, his splits were so even. Six minute mile, 602, 601, six minutes, 602. 
when when someone getting quick photo small small interruption because life of a superstar there we go there we go. Good luck. Nice to meet you. you too. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, Patrick would have been silly last year to try and ride with Lionel and he knew what his strengths were. Now, at the end of the day, I think you've just got to play your strengths to the best of your ability. And you always second guess after the event. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But if you are a, a front pack swimmer and someone who rides particularly well, like on, a, on good conditions, so you can ride 425 and you think you've got a 240 marathon in you, then you have to ration your energy in a way to run that 240 marathon. And if you do that, you'll be happy. I don't know what, what place that'll get you. Chances are you'll be on the podium. I mean, if we add those times up, it comes to eight hours. So you, what we see is eight hours will win this race, right? If you do a 50-minute swim, a 425 bike, and a 240 marathon, that's eight hours. Or 755, actually. You're throwing some transitions. So, yeah, I just, I just think you've got, to, you've got to not get caught up in the hype. There's going to be the, the big, strong bikers, and they're going to go off the front. And they have to. That's their card to play. They, they're racing to their strengths. If you're more a, someone like a Fredino, who I just see as a prototype, he's just an all-round great triathlete, there's a couple of ways he can do it. He, can, he will swim at the front of the race. He will bike where he needs to bike, and he can run great. So, he, so I guess in that respect, an athlete, like, an athlete like Jan has options. And he's also tactically very smart, as we saw in Port Elizabeth. So you know he's going to play the right card. But I think every athlete, particularly athletes who I advise and I sit down with, I, I say, well, let's look at what you have in the kit bag. And you, you, you can't, there's not going to be miracles on race day. If, if you're not a 414 yeah. biker like Cam Worth, yeah. if you try and do that, yeah. you're not going to run. Yeah. You've just got to maximise everything you have. But be aware of the dynamics of the race. But ultimately it comes back to training as best you can, getting in the best headspace and then executing on race day so that you get the most out of all three of your disciplines it's, it's not about the individual splits it's about the net result and sometimes that might mean if you're in, like I know there were years here the last 50 or 60k on the bike I wouldn't say I soft pedaled but I backed off the gas because I knew I was with I was with Rasmus and Andy Potts and there was a few guys up the road Torbjorn and Liedo and Norman but I was usually with Macca and Andy Raylett and those guys I thought well I'd I fancy myself to outrun these guys. Well, at the very least, actually, I never would say that. What I would say was, I, I fancy myself to run a 240. I know that's the shape I'm in, or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And at this point in the race, I think that's my best card to play. And there's no doubt that through the race, you have to make different decisions. But for me, it always came back to, what's my best card to play here, knowing how fit I am, and how the race is playing out so far, and what the conditions are doing. But it still came back to the final consideration was, you know, if I think I can bike 4.30 and run 2.40, I need to execute in a way that allows me to do that. If I get to the end and I've biked 4.38 and run 2.48, well, I've sort of underperformed a little bit. And it, why is that? Is it because maybe I wasn't in the shape I was in? Or usually here it's because you get dragged out of your own plan. So that was my experience anyway. Just, just lastly, because I know you've got to get going, um, just your picks, men and girls. It's a, tough, it's a tough one. Well, I'll go with the girls first. I think Danny is extraordinary. She's a freak, isn't she? I think she's extraordinary. It's so hard to back it up here year after year with all the extra sponsorship and media and the pressure. And There's no question the, the other competitors get galvanised. It's almost like anyone but them again. And the great ones overcome that, and I think she's one of the great ones. So I, I think she'll get pushed by Lucy, though. Um, but I think Danny will win. I think Lucy, and I'm going to say Rini, is my, my podium. 
On the men's side, I don't know. There's, there's, there's eight or ten guys who could get on the podium. Taking Yarn out, I think, puts... It, it, there's changed a, the game a lot, didn't it? It's changed the yeah. game, and there's a massive opportunity for a few athletes. So I'm, I'm going to say my podium, and in no particular order, I'm going to go with Javier, Braden, and Seb. I think, and, and, and you can't, you, you can't I, th I love watching Lionel, I do, and it's, it's hard not to pick him in my podium, but I've just got a feeling Seb's year this year, he didn't go to 70.3 Worlds, I feel he's always had a bit of a mental block with Jan, and you take Jan out, the other German, yeah. I think that frees him up a little bit. Um, Javier, I just think he's just class, and I know he's lacking a lot of experience here, but I think he's running a bit. He's going to be at the front of the swim. He may lose some time on the bike, but I think he's smart enough. And I know his coach has raced here, so they know um, he's typically good in the heat. And I think he can run under 240. I think he can. So I think he could give up 10 minutes to a lot of people and still run a two, 230 something and take the title. At least get on the podium. Um, and Braden, I just think's a wild card. I just love the way he races. Um, and I think that race, I'm hoping that race in Kansas has given him the confidence to believe that he can go all the way because when he gets it right, he's just like a snowball that gets momentum and that race in Kansas was incredible. There's not too many athletes who could stick on Javier's shoulder and would have the ability and the toughness to, to win and he's one of them. So I know a lot of people were... We thought he underperformed, and I'm sure by his standards, he felt he did in Port Elizabeth. But to me, that's that has no relevance moving forward. I'm looking more at what he did in Cairns and he's built up the last. I'm just having a chat to him before he said he's he's built up's been good. So yeah, he's going to be my third guy. But I, I think Lionel will be up there in the top five somewhere. Um, so many good guys too. I mean, guys like Tim Burkle and Tim Reed, I think have top 10 potential written on there's so many guys yeah. you know that's what's great about this race but isn't it yeah it, it is oh excuse me yeah it's it's what's great about the race and you know you can look stupid giving your tips as well but they're all great athletes and you know i'm just excited to, to see how it unfolds hey mate it's always awesome talking to you thanks so much for your time and uh, enjoy the rest of your week thanks Bevan. take care righty ho we are still in the king cam hotel uh, and we're doing an interview day with kevin collington now, a lot of you guys won't have heard of Kevin before, but perhaps you should have done because he won Ironman Taiwan last year, finished fourth in Boulder this year. Uh, he's had plenty of podiums uh, on the 70.3 circuit, but we've yet to see him unleash his power in Kona. So, Kevin, um, welcome to the show. Give us a bit of uh, background about yourself because, yeah, as I said, not a lot of people are going to know too much about you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, and um, it's my pleasure to be here. And so... I'm uh, from the United States and I grew up in Orlando, Florida. I was a swimmer by background and I got into triathlon when I went to the University of Florida and I joined the triathlon club and I didn't really know much about it, but um, it was fun and it was a good group of kids to hang out with and then I started kind of getting good at it. So that's when I started to take it more seriously. My senior year, I won the US uh, national championship for collegiate and that's when I was like, okay, maybe, uh, maybe I should pursue this like uh, you know full-time and it was at the time I was going for the ITU stuff so trying to qualify for the Olympics and uh, I didn't end up qualifying but you know it was a good development and I ended up being better at long-distance racing so that's where I am now doing Ironman. That's the thing because I do remember your name from ITU stuff but it's so easy to get lost in the crowd if you're not one two or three it's like that's the rest of the field. <laughs> How long did you stick with the ITU and what were some of your highlights? 
So I was I did IT for about six years, and halfway through I started doing seventy point threes on the side. But yeah, you're right. Like there were a bunch of races where I would just get fifty ninth place, and no one has any idea who you are. It's just one, two, three, or uh, nobody really. So uh, some of my best results, I had a few top tens at World Cups, like Malulaba a couple times, and then. The High V World Cup that was in the U.S. when it was a million dollar race, I got 13th, which doesn't sound like a good result, mm. but it actually was. It was uh, the most money I'd ever made in a day in triathlon, so that mm. was pretty awesome. But I was running with like guys that I'd never even thought I would run with, just top class guys. Will Clark was the one I remember right now, and he's actually racing Kona on Saturday yeah. as well. So uh, we've both kind of come full circle and gone to the long distance racing now. So. What was it like when you first stepped away from the ITU world to come into the longer course world? Well, you know, the ITU was, was really dialed in back in, the, like, back in 2006 when I started. You know, I was, people were going for the Beijing Olympics, and then my Olympic quad was the London Olympics. And the ITU had already started, like, you know, these blue carpet transitions and, like, mm. VIP areas for pros. And so it was very dialed in. So when I came to 70.3 and I did my first race in Augusta, Georgia back in 2009, um, I was just surprised. I was like, it was like kind of going back to my roots. Just you have to do everything for yourself, set up everything. You're in the grass, like you're hanging your bike from a metal rack. And uh, it was like back to basics, which was cool. But also, um, you know, in a way I was like, man, I wish my, I, I miss my blue carpet now. And I miss like, <laughs> I miss the guys who just like let me in the transition on a whim just because I have a little wristband on or something. But, yeah. you know, now in Ironman, they do the same thing. So that's what we're going to get on Saturday, like the special treatment, which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, and how, when you sort of made that transition across to, to full-time long distance, what were your sort of goals and aspirations and how has it sort of panned out? Well, I, I didn't really have any goals when I got into long distance other than I wanted to see what I could do. And like all of my training had indicated that I would be better at long distance than at short course because like I just couldn't sprint for my life. Like I would swim with a local swim team, like a club swim team and fifties for time. I would get beat by 14 year old girls, just mm. like no sprint speed at all. And I was like, maybe I'm meant for this long distance stuff. And, uh, and it didn't like, as with most things, it takes some hard work and some racing, but it didn't pan out at first. I wasn't that good, but, uh, eventually I started to see some better results than I ever saw at ITU. And that's kind of what I was going for. Cause I, I felt like long distance was where my talents were at. With that, you know, you, you, you say physically the indicators were I would be better off in long course, um, but it's a different mental game. So what adjustments did you have to learn or what did you learn as you progressed from a, a shorter kind of faster game to that kind of longer game? Well, the first thing I learned was that I couldn't ride a bike to save my life. Like I, I couldn't ride a time trial bike. And, and so that was a lot of work over a lot of years. Um, just the, the threshold power and being able to in the pro ranks kind of respond to the, the accelerations and stuff. Um, and that's when I actually went to my current coach, Matt Dixon, because he's, he's got a good history of developing male pro psych or tri pro triathlete cyclists. And, and I really needed that because I could swim and I could run, but like, I would just get destroyed on the bike. And, mm -hmm. and that was a big transition for me. It was no longer like you know, in the ITU, you have to come out of a corner and sprint maybe 50 times a race. And that's what the training was like. Um, so the, the change in training for the bike was, a, was the biggest thing for me, yeah. Mm. Um, okay, and in terms of you, you've had an Ironman victory um, in Taiwan, which would have been roughly this time last year. Um, but actually, I want to just talk a bit about you, your first time here in Kona. So you came in 2016, but DNF, was that, uh, just tell us about your day. Did it, was it just 
going too hard on the bike or, or what 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 was the story of your day first time around well like my try excuse is that i was sick you know yeah. and and i was a little sick i was a little under the weather i got dropped in the swim which was weird for me so yeah. three thousand meters in the swim was so hard and i just got unhinged from the pack and uh and i was like okay the indicators are saying something's wrong with me today because like that really shouldn't happen and then on the bike uh, also i so I, I drifted back to the second group and then got dropped by the second group, got oh. dropped by the third group. I just wasn't firing. And like the, the worst thing was the, the mistake that I made was I trained in Cozumel, Mexico leading up to the race. And I just think I, you know, I do better coming from my home base in Boulder mm -hmm. and um, Mexico's great. It was hot, but it also just wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the, the food I should have been eating. It was mm -hmm. maybe too hot. I might've cooked myself a little bit, but overall, I, it was a good lesson to learn for this Kona because mm. I didn't go to Mexico this time. So I'm hoping I, coming from Boulder, I hope I have a little more in the tank to uh, do the race. It's a funny game, isn't it, when you think about it? Because it's an exact science to get it right at that time on that day. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. just those little factors can so take you off path. And so, you know, what are some of the things that you think you've done better this time to make sure there's a higher chance you'll get it right on the day? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the good news is, is I've had like two years of development, really. And, I, and that's something I realized, even if I was sick on race day in 2016, I wasn't ready to race Kona. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've gone through two more years of development on the bike. You know, I've added like some good power into my legs. Like uh, I'm riding better than I ever had before. So, and, and my swim's dialed in. My run is kind of an afterthought because I have to make it through the bike first to get there. But the run is there for sure. And so... On the other hand, I've also done some more racing. So I raced Ironman Taiwan. It's probably the hottest Ironman in the entire world. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous there. So, and that was part of the plan. I wanted to go do a hot Ironman. Like, maybe I should never race Kona because it's too hot. But then I won. So I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I can race Kona. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been racing and training development over the past two years. And I think I'll have some more physical resources on Saturday to work with than I did two years ago. So you're probably in that group of guys, you know, um, there's probably about 20 or 30 of you, probably almost the entire field actually, that could get in the top 10 on a good day. And a lot of people, you know, I'm talking to guys similar to yourself that have won Ironman races or been on podiums, they're going top 10, that's my sort of goal. What, what's your sort of mindset going into the race? Is it more about performance or is it top 10 or bust? Um, definitely not top 10 or bust. I want to finish the race because that dnf as with any triathlon you know it just leaves a bad feeling in your stomach you're supposed to finish the course that's the spirit of triathlon so you know top 10 would be great and i was chatting to sebastian keenly after the race in 2016 and he's like you know everybody comes here wanting the top 10 and 40 out of the 50 could get a top 10 on the right day um but when you're when you're 11th or worse most people just kind of shut it down um and to be honest, like I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to race for 14th or 19th or whatever it might be. And maybe it's fifth or, and, and I don't know, but um, I, I'd want to finish the course. And, and that's really my biggest goal. Uh, so just the, the very basics of triathlon, but I would love to get a top 10 as well. I think I have that in, in my abilities. In some ways, does that make it nice for you? Because you, your bar's pretty low, really, isn't it? You know, it is kind of just get out there and get the day done because I kind of kind of getting rid of the scars of yesterday um and so in some ways i imagine it allows you to be a bit more relaxed going into it yeah i'm super relaxed actually like i i'm sure that i'll get nervous at the pro meeting when i see everyone there but um 
but yeah, it, for me, it's like building. And, and the next obvious step is like, okay, don't DNF. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I have a great race uh, tomorrow, then I've got so many more Konas to do in my career uh, before I'm done. But even if it is 14th, like the worst thing as a pro is that, you know, the race pays money 10 deep. So if you get 14th, you make $0. And, and that's kind of like why everyone shoots for a top 10. But um, at the same time, I'm here for my sponsors and I'm, you know, with all my friends so many different people are also on the race course with me so um yeah the bar is kind of low and it keeps me relaxed which gen like that generally tends to lead to me having a great race so um what was i just going to ask you i'll go on um just the qualification system so last year you won a race so you would have qualified anyway this year uh, but you obviously had to get points to get to where you are this year uh looking to come next year how do you how does someone where you are in your career right now, kind of approach getting back next year? Well, I guess you kind of have to start looking at, it's all about looking at start lists, picking races that are good for you. So for me, like my initial reaction was, should I do Ironman Malaysia on November 17th? Because it's super hot and it's in Asia. I tend to race well in like extreme heat. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And uh, yeah, so, and, and so, but I just don't think I can do a third Ironman this year. So I'm going to push it to next year. And it's all about like, you, you have to look and see like, okay, does the race fit my abilities? Do I have the chance to win or maybe get second and it rolls to you? And then, uh, and then yeah, you have to watch the start list. It's kind of like a, like a strategic game now. Uh, instead of just amassing points throughout the year where you can have an off day, like Ironman Boulder, I got fourth. I just needed top 10. Um, so there was a lot of wiggle room. But with the new system, you have to win, and, and that's tough. So... What's the, in, in, from the consensus from pros, similar sort of level to yourself? What are people feeling about it? Do they like the new system? Would they prefer a, a mixture of the old and new? What's the, the general you know, chit-chat amongst the pros? The only real opinion I've heard uh, about this, most people are supportive of it, like just win and you're in, which is great. It's the same system as the age groupers. Uh, Marinda Carfrey, a few weeks ago on the pro panel in Augusta, was saying like right now in the September-October time period a lot of pros are able to get yeah. their spot without any pro from Kona racing yeah. and I, I see where she's coming from it's like okay there's a lot of races that we don't even have the chance to get the spot but at the same time that was me last year I won Ironman Taiwan and that's the reason why I'm here today racing this race and uh, it, in my opinion it puts like eight to ten spots as development spots sort mm -hmm. of so the athletes who haven't made it to Kona but want to race Kona give it a shot like me um, have a chance to get a spot without having to race Jan Frodeno or like Sebastian mm. Keenley or something. So I think if 40 out of the 50 men's spots are, are between November and, you know, August of next year, I, that's great. But these first 10 spots clearly are going to athletes like Cody Beals, who mm. is an incredible athlete and certainly deserves to be on the start line next year. Uh, but yeah, and he got his spot at a, at a smart time. He got it at Chattanooga a couple of weeks ago. So um, I could go either way. Well, we were also really interesting this year because there's, there's a strong, you know, if we go from like 30 through to 80th in pros, there's a strong guy, a bunch of guys who I imagine those races will be quite competitive moving forward as well. Yeah, I like there has there's going to be just people. I think it might increase the dropout rate. Like if you have a, a guy who goes to say like uh mantra blonde iron man and, and he's in fourth and he just shuts it down because he's like i'm not going to get my kona spot today and, and he goes to whistler i don't actually know the the dates yeah, of these races yeah, yeah. but but yeah it might increase the dropout rate and uh other than that i, I think it'll just be like a lot of people showing up to awards now they'll, they'll never skip the award ceremony because you got to wait for the roll downs to happen so. <laughs> 
Okay, finally, um, a little plug for any of your sponsors. You know, I was saying you're staying at the Kona Seaside Hotel, so for people that haven't been to Kona, that's directly across the road from the King Cam. It's like, sweet, you're not going to get any sleep on Sunday, but you're about as close as you can get to the action. So if any, a plug for any of your sponsors, and also if people want to follow you, you know, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, well, I'm super thankful to be staying at Kona Seaside with Hoka. They took over the entire hotel, and uh, I asked to be on their rooming list back in June. So that uh, it's just such a great spot to be other than the king cam mm. you can literally go check in on race morning and then go back to your room yeah. and hang out for a while so yeah that's pretty awesome um i'm about to go visit ventum down in the uh in the expo and and see all the all the guys from ventum and girls and uh yeah i i think uh i think most of my sponsors are down there just uh as you might imagine it's kona so um and then following me on social media i'm kevin collington on almost everything instagram and uh and facebook and twitter so yeah. Just, just, just lastly, um, you know, like it's, it's a special week, Kona, and for the age groupers and, and the history, and you know, we were kind of saying you walk around, you see all the rock stars, and, and all the rest of it. what's it like for a pro? Well, um, I'd say it's pretty similar. Like, we're certainly not like, you know, going out, and we're not riding down Alihi on our aero bars at maximum wattage. So <laughs> that's one thing. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, for me, I'm just trying to lay low, like. Uh, I'm happy to come chat to you guys and anyone else who wants to have a chat. And but you know, you you do it early in the week. You, you go back to your hotel and just watch TV. Um, try not to. Uh, you know, a lot of people go out and do these workouts to prove they can do like the race on Saturday. But you know, it's it's really just about rest at this point and staying off your feet and um and and just uh, going about everything you would do for any other race to have a good race. So I try not to change the equation too much. It's the same as any other race. Just more people. Have a good luck. Yeah, kick some butt. Yeah, thanks for having me on. We'll see you out there, mate. Good work. Sponsor. Endurance Sports Travel. John, tell you what, one of the hardest things about doing races is coordinating getting to the oh. race, isn't it? You know, Especially if you're going to somewhere you've never been before. Because mm-hmm. you know you can go on TripAdvice, you can go on all those types of things. But that's a, like, it's interesting. Joe, my wife, is our travel agent. Mm-hmm. And she loves it. Like She's passionate about it. But the amount of time she plans on our travel is a lot of work. If you're someone who just wants to turn up to a race, think about the race and just have a good time with your family, this is the way to go, isn't it? Absolutely. You step off the plane, you've got your accommodations all taken care of, you don't have to fart around up. getting keys or anything like that. Pick you up, take your accommodation, look after your family, they've got all the extra activities, they're going to drive you out on the course, so it's going to save in terms of, uh, you know, having... A, having the, just doing the logistics of it, but you probably won't need a, a car hire. There's usually extra activities. And also, you can, you can, some, you can be a part of a team. Like w- when we're in Kona, the endurance sports travel team, they have breakfast every day down by the pier. So you can go and do your swim, you walk across the road, and you've got a breakfast. So it's your way of you know, being able to interact with others and, and make it feel like you're a part of a group. I think over here, really, really busy place in Kona, but pretty easy just to be by yourself for a lot of yeah. people and not really well, do you know what's it? a really good example of that is when we did our road camp hmm. you know like all the people who came and did our road camp said it was awesome to be in road to do the race because it's a special race but having people you've connected with in the week leading up to the race made it a much better experience and i imagine when you do endurance sports travel it's a similar experience you kind of hmm. each morning you meet up you probably have some fun activities throughout the week with the crew and then come race day yeah then someone gives you the high five and it's just a, there's a boost that comes with that isn't there yeah so check out endurance sports travel.com uh, they come over to kona every year uh, they go to the 70.3 world champs every year so next year in nice if you're thinking about you've sort of been on the edge of going to 70.3 nice 
should be amazing. Uh, they also specialise in going down to Cozumel and also Brazil. They've got discounted race entries and packages uh, to head down there. So, and you're going to hear from Ken Glau probably on Friday. We'll have Ken Glau on. Uh, done 35 consecutive Konas, and that is the official record, isn't it? We'll ask Ken that. I'm pretty sure it must be. It must be. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, they've been down to these places like Brazil for so many years. Just take the stress out of your travel. So check out endurancesportstravel.com. Check, check, check it out. Righty-ho. We have got last interview of the first day in Kona. We've got uh, Matt Sharbot. Is that pr- pr- correct pronunciation, Matt? No. No? Hit us with it. Sharbot. Sharbot. Sharbot, like shark and robot. Awesome. Combined. Uh, so Matt is over here racing in uh, Kona. He's had a fantastic ITU career. Always used to love the style he raced ITU. Used to spank it out uh, just randomly on the bike sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> it came off, sometimes it didn't. So I'm an ITU junkie, love all that sort of stuff. Uh, he's also had uh, some fantastic wins over 70.3 along with lots of podiums. And then he was a winner in the Ironman at uh, Mel de Plata last year in Argentina, 19. yeah. So nice work there. And that, that leads him to being here at Kona this year. So welcome along to the show. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. How long have you been in Kona for? I got here uh, the night before that practice training swim. Oh, yes? Last Friday. And did you do the swim? I did, yeah. yeah. Was there many, many pros racing or not? Uh, I want to say there was about maybe 13 to 15 women and maybe 15 to 20 men. Yeah. Pro, pros. Who took the line honors? Oh, Josh Hamburger, man. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, him and Lucy Charles. Oh, really? Yeah, they duked it out. I mean, oh. I, I swam with them going around the turn buoys, and then they just gunned it. By the time I got around that second buoy, this yeah. I probably was, it, to me, it felt like 25 meters, but in reality, it was probably 10 meters. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> they. That was it. And she and, and he managed to just, was it like a sprint finish, or did he? Between uh, the two of them, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. really? It was insane. Impressive. From what I heard. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was just way back. I was fifth overall. Uh, there was an age grouper that beat me, but uh, in my category, yeah, it went uh, Josh and then then Braden Curry, and mm-hmm. I was I was out with just right behind Braden Curry. Oh, very nice. So that's the gold standard. Yeah. Uh, so. You had a fantastic ITU career, enjoy, as I said, enjoyed watching you racing there. You're very aggressive. Has that um, been a help or a hindrance since you started doing long course stuff? Did you have yet? Uh, yeah. yeah. So looking back at the way I used to race ITU, um, that was that was during an era that everybody rode very easy on the bike and mm. saved their legs for the run. And I was getting tired of that, and I felt like I had a better chance at at doing well in ITU if I had some sort of buffer going into the run over some of the other athletes that had better runs than me. I always questioned my run um, because of that. Mm-hmm. So e- even though even though some of my best ever races have been you know staying with the pack, keeping my watts low. I've also had very good races where I'm off the front. Mm. So, um, and that was around 2009, 2010, 2011. And um, once Jonathan Brownlee came up through the scene and they started working with that swim star, Richard Varga, Mm -hmm. they were like, you know what? Let's just keep the pressure on, keep the gaps out of the water and just have an elite group of 10 guys. And that's Mm -hmm. how... 
the race in, in Rio unfolded. And mm. once I saw that, I was just kind of bummed that I couldn't be part <laughs> of it. But, uh, uh, yeah, so who knows? Maybe I helped set that trend but, in the but ITU. In, in terms of the Ironman racing and, and half Ironman, you know, now we see the you know, great coverage with uh, the Facebook Live stuff now. Yeah. So, but for a lot of racing, you know, I've, I've never seen you racing a, a half Ironman or an Ironman. Do you sort of take that same attitude across? It's, it's, I try to, but <laughs> it's tough. I mean, uh, in these non-drafting races, even though, you know, sometimes we stay together, sometimes we blow apart um, with the drafting and everything, um, the, the, the 12-meter rule. But, um, I mean, to, a, to attack and go hard on the bike, with guys like Lionel and Sebastian Keenley and Cam Wirf and too bad he's not here, Boris Stein. Um, those guys are kind of on another level, especially mm. Cam Wirf. I mean, he's mm. a pedigree at his discipline on the, uh, of, on the bike. Um, he's falling apart, or I'm sorry, everyone's falling apart the last 10 miles of the bike, mm. and he's increasing his effort over Lionel and Sebastian last year, for example. Mm. So um, talk us through your Ironman progression because, you know, uh, it looks to me like you started around about 2013 in terms of your first racing. How's that sort of progression gone? Has it been a bit of a roller coaster or have you sort of... Ha has it gone according to plan, I guess? Uh, not exactly according to plan, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I basically dipped my toes in the water in, in 2013 with my first Ironman at Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, I was I was definitely weighing over my head as mm -hmm. uh, your first Ironman typically is. Mm -hmm. uh, not everyone can have a uh, a perfect transition the way uh, guys like Jan Frodeno or mm -hmm. or Javier Gomez appeared to have. Um, obviously, they they've had. Um, their fair share of, of preparation, making making the transition look very easy. But for some of us, it's a little more bumpy and rocky, yeah. and it, it definitely was for me. And it it's it still is to some degree. Um, I think I think your weaknesses are significantly more exposed mm -hmm. in Ironman racing, um, and. The more Ironman training and racing I do, the more I understand that um, the athletes at the pointy end of the sport, even though even though they're very different from each other, at the same time, it's very similar to the ITU. You're going to be a very good swimmer. You're going to be a very good cyclist and a very good runner. So you take, take a look at the Brownleys and Javier Gomez. The knock on Javier Gomez is that he's not a strong cyclist. He really is. Mm. He's he's maybe like number five or number six. Mm. He's he's not number one or number two. And uh, it, in order to ride with the Brownleys and the breakaways in the ITU, Javier had to be really strong. Mm. So um, looking over to Ironman, um, there are some some guys get away with uh, not making the front pack, but you have to. You have to balance it out by having an extremely uh, strong bike. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm in a situation where I'm a little more even keel coming from that ITU background. And, uh, well, that being said, some, some athletes coming from an ITU background let their swim go. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, I never quite let my swim go, so I, I'm going to fade back to the second pack. Mm. Uh, Andreas Rehler, two-time Olympian, 2000 and 2004 Olympics. Uh, you would think on paper he's just always going to make the front pack. Mm. He's had his fair share of Konas where he What's wasn't that? a front pack. He was two or three minutes back. Mm. Uh, same thing goes for Rini. Mm. A lot of people don't know this, but Rini got a silver medal, I want to say, at uh, the mm. Salford World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And but also under 23, she was... Uh, she was a medalist yeah, in yeah, under 23. Uh, she's not a good Ironman swimmer, but if you're a medalist from ITU World Cups, mm. there should be no excuse for your, your swim to ever, ever get bad. Mm. So um, some of us let our swims go, others don't. So, so how have you adapted your, both your, I guess, your training firstly from what you've learned early on? So if you had a few bumps on those first Ironmans, you're a bit green, what have you done to try to address that and, and have you addressed it yet? You have to... You have to you have to change as an athlete on a regular basis, mm. e- yearly, easily. Um, I, well, coming from ITU, I mean, obviously more bike volume. You have to love riding your bike mm-hmm. in Ironman. You also have to love running because the marathon's quite a long way. And you also have to love swimming because swimming for – 45 minutes to an hour or more. I mean, I, what's the average swim time in Kona mm. for the amateur? They're coming out between 110 to 130. I mean, mm. that's a lot of athletes coming out mm. of the water. and that, That's a lot of time you're spending in the water. So you have to love all three disciplines. Mm. In some degree, you have to love it all equally. Like they're your three kids. Like what's your mm. favorite? <laughs> Dude, if you want to be competitive, <laughs> you got to love all three, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, what was the question? <laughs> I guess how, you, how you've changed your oh, training. So, adapted, I mean, so, you, man. so you went and did your first Ironman and you go, Big holy time. crap, you know, I didn't realize, you know, did you lose lots of time on the bike and go, right, I need to go out and do a shitload of volume on the bike or is it a strength issue or yeah, what have you done to sort of improve where you're now actually at a, a point where you're winning races, you know, you haven't won Kona, but you're winning <laughs> an Ironman race yeah, yeah. and you're podiuming them. You know, what, what's been the things that have made the most difference for you? I mean, yeah, to a degree, you have to be significantly flexible. I mean, I'm 35 right now and I was, uh, I was 30 during my first Ironman. Mm. And you could have your favorite swim sets or your favorite bike workouts, but you have to keep them updated and you have to be willing to make the changes necessary to stay competitive. Mm -hmm. And what works, what has worked in the past will not guarantee future performance. And it, that goes to, to, um, I mean, that, that's just, across not only all sports but just all facets of life Mm. Uh, history doesn't repeat itself Mm. but it will echo yeah yeah uh so you had your first experience here in kona 2015 i think it was yeah participated did did not (laughs) look like the greatest today talk talk us through what happened yeah that was uh that was 13 days after a sprint finish at uh, ironman chattanooga Mm. so i was just i was blown to pieces 
Did um, I say, but did you swim an hour? Was it? Was that you? Was yeah, that I did. Yeah. Swim an I hour. Swim went, easy. I thought that's really not right. Easy. He normally swims about no. forty-five to forty-eight. Yeah. 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 Thirteen days after an Ironman, you know. Yeah. So what? What was the objective when you came over here? You know, you, you uh, just to get a feel for the course. Yeah. Just to get a feel for the conditions. Um, unfortunately, having a bad swim, I wasn't able to get a feel for the mayhem on the uh, on the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially those opening two hours of the bike. Um, I missed out on that. But, uh, I mean, I was just here to have a good time. Mm. Um, I was one of the only pros that went to the the opening uh, the, the opening ceremonies. Mm-hmm. In fact, Heather Fuhrer's like, wow, we invite all the pros, but nobody ever shows up. So, yeah. Go ahead, make your way to the VIP area. (laughs) And uh, so then I go to closing ceremonies and uh, didn't have access to the VIP. So very different. uh, It's very different between the two. And so what are you, you know, have have you prepared well this year? I presume you're not here just to participate. So what's what's the build up look like this year? So my whole strategy was to... uh, either win or take second at Ironman Mardo Plata in Argentina last December mm-hmm. and not do another Ironman until Kona and just kind of make my way back to Kona by uh, uh, chipping away at, at great 70.3 results. Mm-hmm. And I never won a 70.3 since 2017 or I guess 2016 now. But I got second in in four 750 point races Mm -hmm. so uh two of those counted Mm -hmm. but um yeah so my goal is to to start my iron man training block fresh and show up to kona fresh Mm. and i've i was able to do that Mm. um and looking at the pro men's field um i'm the only guy to have not raced an iron man this year Uh, actually i think there's a couple guys now that I think about it, but uh, Lionel was one of the only guys. Uh, he did an Ironman in Montremblant just a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I guess eight weeks ago, or maybe. But um, maybe a few other guys. Andrea Streets. Uh, yeah, but he, he did Challenge Roach. So, oh yeah. Um, so, but um, a lot. Also, a lot of guys on the start line have got like five Ironmans in the last twelve yeah, months or so. I mean, I've always struggled to recover from Ironmans. Mm. Um, but you take a guy like Matt Russell, man, some of his last week, (laughs) some of his best results have been back to back seven days apart. I think he won Ironman Canada, uh, just seven days after this other Ironman that he finished uh, on the podium at, uh, I can't do that. (laughs) I'm still learning how to walk Mm. six days later, seven days later. So how, how do you make all this work then, you know, in terms of the, the, the pro side of life, um, when you're not winning, you know, major championship races in terms of, say, Ironmans where there's big prize money, how do you make it all fit from a professional standpoint? Is it, you know, uh, are you doing anything else outside of tra- training? Is it just prize money and sponsors? Or how do, how do you make it all work? Uh, for the most part, it's all prize money and sponsors. Mm. Um, well, two things. One, uh, I care a lot about my performance in racing, so I keep work to a minimum Mm. uh that being said i work part-time at a registered financial or i'm sorry um registered investment advisor Mm -hmm. and i build financial models 
for people's 401k and retirement accounts. And I'm basically just learning the ins and outs of the industry, mm. wealth management. Nice. Um, they're just, uh, the firm's just around the corner from my house. And um, I just kind of drop in in between training sessions. Um, my boss and, and uh, the portfolio managers there are just incredible people mm. and uh, just really fun to work with. And it's, you know, being in finance, a lot of times it's it's stressful, but uh, my small role that I play right now, it's just a breath of fresh air when I walk in and sit down. And uh, like I said, it, I mean, in my Kona buildup, it's just a, less than 10 hours a week. Mm. Um, but before that, just about 20. So really, mm. I'm not working that much, but... Uh, um, so that's, that's what I do in my free time for fun, really. Mm. <laughs> and so what's the strategy for the weekend? I presume there's no, the pros won't be listening to this before the, before Absolutely. the, hi guys. <laughs> how you doing? Um, have another ha- beer. How do you, I say this to pretty much everybody. Uh, how do you manage that first couple of hours of the race? And, and, uh, in I terms of, um, do you just go with the flow? It just seems every year we come and watch this race. It's people are just. They're all hanging in, pace line. Apparently, it's just surgy all over the place, coming back from, from Harvey, and it just disintegrates to pieces, and people yeah. are, like, coming back in bloody coffins. So how, how, do you, how, how do you try to manage it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> never, I've never been there yet. Yeah. Uh, so my, my plan is just, A, to swim as fast as I can. Um, best case scenario, I'm somewhere behind Josh Amberger. Mm-hmm. Hopefully... It's within, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, or who knows, maybe I could be stuck in no man's land in between Josh and uh, the main pack. But, I mean, the way Braden Curry swam the other day, I'm hopeful, I'm hoping he's going to uh, keep the pace on. Mm. Um, because looking at the, the swims last year, you had some, some great guys leading that second pack out of the water, like Jan and um, Tim O'Donnell, Brett. Brett McMahon swims kind of been hit or miss lately, mm. uh, but being an ITU guy, Brett, you shouldn't be swimming slow. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then you had some slower guys on the tail end of that. Tyler Butterfield, even though he had an ITU career, he's he's not a strong swimmer, yeah. and he was at the tail end of that front pack. And there was a lot of guys at the tail end of that front pack, and I'm like, what was going on, guys? Mm. Uh, I wasn't there, but uh, you know, I know. Tim O'Donnell's been swimming really well lately, so I'm hoping he'll push the pace. And we can just have a select group of six to ten guys out of the water mm. versus 20 guys. Mm. And um, I, I, would like, I would like to be kind of on the front end of that so I'm in control as far as um, letting guys – slot in i mean man you don't want to let too many guys slot in otherwise mm. it's like game over mm. you go from fifth wheel to 20th wheel in a couple minutes yeah because you let one guy slot in and then then he lets some guys slot in and it's over so i, I would rather let everybody slot in in front of me and not get a penalty mm-hmm. then let nobody slot in sit in that sweet spot at, at fifth in the lineup and eventually find myself with a penalty mm. Um, cause my ultimate goal is just to walk away this weekend and say, that's the best race I've ever had. And that's, that's all I could do. Mm. 
whether that's regardless of the position. Place, you know, yeah, it sucks if you get eleventh in this race, so doesn't it? I'll tell you what, though, man, I'd rather get eleventh having one of the best races of my life mm. than just blown to pieces because I made too many mistakes and mm. I, I'm too selfish. I'd rather not let someone slot in and then risk getting a penalty. Uh, I actually had this conversation with Tyler Butterfield this morning at the pool. Mm. We're talking about Andy Potts. Andy Potts would rather sit 15 meters, 15 meters back and let everybody slot in in front of him. And just, you know, I think what was Potts, like 18 minutes back behind Worf last year. Mm. Um, ran up I seventh think, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, ran up seventh. But I want to say Potts was uh, – Patrick Lang was – Patrick Lange was uh, 10 minutes behind Worf last year, but Potts was eight minutes behind that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah. I mean, if Potts could have kept Lange a little closer in check, he could have had a much better race. But, um, man, it's a fine line between getting a penalty. And at the same time, I'm number 49. Mm. Lang is number one mm. and you know the officials I think they look at guys differently mm. based on their number and who they are you get t- Tim O'Donnell wearing the stars and stripes mm. and they're gonna they're gonna be a little more loose with him than uh, some guy that's number 49 wearing a uh, a kit from from Italy <laughs> uh, you know I'm, I'm racing for this awesome European team uh, yeah. called PPR yeah. And uh they may not recognize me. So yeah. it's like let's make an example out of him and give him yeah. a penalty. So I'm gonna be racing as, as conservative as possible. Yeah. And um I I'm gonna surge and go hard when I can, but at the same time Man, I wanna avoid that, that penalty. Mm. So we're we you know, assuming everything goes well here and, and you have that, that fantastic race and whatever place that ends up being, whether it be fifth, whether it be third, whether it be tenth, fifteenth, whatever. Fifteenth, yeah. <laughs> um where where does uh, the career take you from here? I'll tell you what, man, it's a lot different nowadays with uh, the new qualifying system. Mm. Uh traditionally before the points, top ten, That's automatic right. invite. Mm. They in- introduce the points. 10th place you still have enough to make it back now dude fourth place is the new 11th place yeah um yeah fourth place i mean you got to go back and win an ironman or finish top three uh as far as uh what my next move is it's still kind of up in the air i have a a race two weeks after kona and and uh sardinia at uh the challenge Race in uh, Forte Village. Nice. Uh, I think yeah. I saw that last year. Amazing backdrop. Yeah, Amazing. absolutely. Is that the one Brownlee won? Oh, he won Grand Canary or something like that. I forget who went to... Yeah. Uh, m- man, I've been so obsessed with Kona lately. Um, haven't even been thinking about that race. So where, where does um, Ironman Racing fit in, it, fit in for you? You know, So you've, had, uh, you've done some great ITU stuff. You've done some great um, 70.3 and... You got an Ironman one. You know what's your preferred distance, and what's been your big love? Is it going hard, or is this Ironman stuff sort of? Is this where it's all at, or it just happens to be where your career is well, you at the moment? If I, th- I think, I think if you're going to be competitive in your specific uh, sport, you have to love it. Mm. 
So if you're going to be a, an ITU guy, you got to love it. 70.3 guy, you got to love it. And you can't spend too much time reminiscing on the good old days. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Remember when I was making hit, hitting IT World Cup podiums that that was me back in the day now I suck at Iron Man dude you got to focus on the future uh you can't obsess over the past you know these some of these guys they wave around their their IT resumes or their olympic participations mm. and I'm like dude I'm going to eat you alive in this Iron Man mm. mm. you know it's all about the future and you have to be willing to make the changes necessary in order to be successful, mm-hmm. whether that's just sharpening up your your position or putting in the time on the bike, or I mean, learning how to swim. Mm. Uh, if you're if you're stepping up into your first Ironman and and you're an amateur or an age grouper, you wanna you wanna make Kona, but you're swimming hour forty five, mm. dude, you gotta. Drop some serious time if you want to qualify for Kona. Otherwise, I mean, you should be one of those guys taking the lottery spot. Mm, mm. No respect for those guys. I mean, <laughs> if you want to race Kona, you qualify. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, great place you've got here. Nice sea view. Thanks. It's a dangerous place on the run course, though, isn't it, when you're sort of five or six miles in? Yeah. <laughs> but the best part is I've, uh, I've, I've driven by in the car many times. And I, I don't know where in the turn. Yeah. And I've I've actually ridden by uh, the bike and the run, and I gotta like do a U-turn. So yeah, yeah we're kind of tucked away here, but uh, yeah, if a tsunami hits, it's coming across the Lehi and hitting our place for yeah. sure. Any uh, any other hot tips you've got for the weekend in terms of uh, people that you think have maybe not been talked about that you think might rip it up either on the male or the female side? <sighs> I tell you what, man, she's coming over for dinner here in the next twenty minutes. Uh, Kirsty John. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's she's been training with uh, Soto's group. She won two Ironmans this year. Yeah. Uh, she started riding with Daniela halfway through the summer. Yeah. Because she she asked why can't I ride with Daniela and Brett's like because you never asked. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> and uh, Daniela didn't like that, but. Uh, yeah, Danielle is one of the nicest in the whole sport. I mean, she's yeah. she's the she's Javier Gomez on the women's side. Yeah, just yeah. very friendly. Just a, f- a couple of final questions. Are you, do you coach yourself, or are you in a? Group I work with Krista Austin. Yeah, uh, we bounce ideas off each other. Uh, it's pretty low key, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'd say a lot of I, w- I would say a lot of my f- the few months that I trained spending with. Uh, training with Bevan Doherty in 2012 rubbed off on me a little too much. So I feel like I need to have a lot to say in my training program. Yeah. So uh, I had a brief stint with Julie Dibbins earlier in the year and had a great time uh, working with her. But we just kind of butt heads on a couple of things. And and we pulled the ripcord before things got bad. Yeah. And uh, we had a great time and... And Julie and I, I think, are still on pretty good terms. But eventually, we had to go our separate ways before things went south. And uh, so, yeah, I went back to to my my old advisor, Crystal Austin, and mm-hmm. things have been going w- really well. I think I think this training block has been one of the best I've ever had. 
So finally, if people want to follow you, um, or you got any sponsors or anything you want to plug, um, yeah, how can people follow you and anybody else to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Actually, don't follow me on Twitter because I don't tweet enough. <laughs> 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 Instagram uh, at Matt Charbot, yeah. M A T T C H R A B O T. Um, or you can find me on uh, my athlete page on on Facebook. Um, shout out to my sponsors, uh, Cipollini Bikes, Sale Clothing. Nice. Uh, so presumably that's Mario Cipollini. Uh, yeah. 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 Mario yeah, I didn't even know they did TT bikes. Yeah, they make they make an awesome TT bike. Yeah. Um, UCI legal, of course, because it's yeah. you know Mario. Yeah. But uh, I got it. They gave me a special seat post that I can get a little further forward. Excellent. But uh, yeah, it's a great bike. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I race for uh, Pepperoncini. Yeah. Team. Uh, they're out of uh, Torino, Italy. Nice. I guess they changed their name to PPR. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody yeah. knows what Pepperoncini is, which is a little, little spicy Italian pepper. Nice. But uh, how on earth do you end up with that group? How'd I find him? Yeah, yeah. I didn't find him. I My agent yeah. Franco Vaderat did, <laughs> and he was like, "Would you be interested in racing for this Italian team?" And I was like, "Never heard of him." Yeah. But uh, yeah, I met him. Uh, I met him just this past spring, and I uh, flew over there, and uh, yeah, they gave me a bunch of bikes and. Right. Yeah, love them. Looking good. Awesome. Oh, we'll hope to see you kicking some butt out there. At the I will say. Oh, by the way, sorry. Uh, I will be going live uh, with a Infinite Nutrition Takeover tomorrow, which That's is Wednesday. Good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, look for me at uh, oh, Infinite yeah. Nutrition. I think it's the Infinite Loop. Uh, the uh, send me that on an email, and we'll uh, we'll put <laughs> it out there on uh, on our Facebook page. Hashtag I am Infinite. There you go. Crap, I don't know their Twitter handle or uh, Instagram handle. No, send it through. We'll get Infinite it out nutrition. there. Infinite Nutrition. I will. No, I use Infinite as well. I mean, I'm at the racing, so nice yeah. work. Awesome. You have a good race, and uh, thanks for giving up so much of your time. Yeah, great to finally meet you, John. Awesome. Cheers, man. John's sponsor. Huso. Huso. Tell me all about it. Yeah, so if you, especially if you're someone who just needs to calm down a little bit. Calm relax, the farm. If you're struggling with your sleep. What you're doing with Huso, and we're going to be doing an interview with them today, which will be coming out tomorrow, is is a technology. You're basically listening to calming music and voices, I believe. We'll find out exactly how that works. Uh, but it's going to help your recovery. It's going to significantly improve your sleep quality and just improve your focus and your mental clarity during workouts and competitions. So I know so many people that struggle with their sleep. And this can just be a way where you can calm down, get a good sleep, and also if you're somebody that gets very stressed before races, we can talk about different strategies with these guys as to how and when you can use it. Uh, so I've looked at science, it looks fantastic, never tried it, looking forward to it, we'll go down there tomorrow mm. and check it out. Uh, if you want to find out more, uh, go to thisishuso.com and they have got a special on until the end of October, use the promo code Kona Sound no, 50 at checkout and you get 50 bucks off uh, Huso unit. So yeah, basically it's a unit. With headphones, also has pads that goes around your. So it must be wrist. vibrations or something too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really fascinated to try it because mm. I'm, I'm like as I was saying in yesterday's show, I, like meditation is a big part of my process in keeping in a healthy place. And if you know you're somebody who kind of does suffer anxiety or gets highly stressed, you know, like for me, 
I'm not a very stressful person and, and I actually really put it down to the fact I stop every day and meditate because to me it's that moment in my day which allows me to calm, recharge and then kind of get back into the day after that point. And, you know, these types of tools, are, you know, is that kind of how, how do you, I love this idea of how do you stay being a high functioning person? You know, what are the things that you need to do to be a high functioning person? And for me, meditation is one of them. And it seems as though, now I haven't had a chance to use it yet so hopefully we'll get a chance today, but... Um, it seems like this could be another great tool that keeps you at a higher level, removes stress and anxiety. And let's be honest, if you're not stressed and in, full of anxiety, you're going to perform better, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, so check, check it out. out. This is huso.com. Okay, and again, the discount code is Kona Sound 50 Right, get this mic in nice and close. Come in nice and close. We've got Ali Goodall here, uh, who has got an awesome story. So she's an Ironman ambassador, and she's lining up this weekend. And Ali posted on our Facebook page and I said, oh, we want to get a few age groupers on there. And uh, she posted on there and, and the pictures of her and I went, holy smokes. <laughs> and maybe if you can explain, uh, explain it. Why you thought holy smokes. Ho- well, yeah, why, why I thought holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, so three years ago I weighed 184 kilograms. Um, I was a diabetic, type 2 diabetes and, um, you know, could barely walk 100 metres. Um, and I, my doctor had at that point told me that if I didn't do something about my weight that I probably wasn't going to live to see past the age of 35 so something had to happen yeah for American listeners 180 kilograms I don't know what it is <laughs> times 2.2 2. times 2.2 2. Um, it's, it's, it's 406 pounds mm. yeah, yeah. So, okay so you go to the doctor they give you the shock call which you know is a wake up call mm-hmm. from there to here how's that happen yeah you know I'm very determined. I'm very, very determined. Um, I'm sure you thought you were determined when you had the weight on. So what was the shift? I I wasn't actually. Oh, okay. No, I was a totally different person. So weight loss surgery helped me lose a little bit of the weight. Yep. Um, but then after that, I knew that that wasn't going to be the be all and end all of everything. You know, um, I know so many people have had the same surgery as yep. me who it hasn't been successful. Yep. So I didn't want that to happen. So that's when I, I kind of fell into triathlon. I found it through one of my friends. And, um, you know, I, I signed up for an enticer distance and I was like, oh, there's, there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this. But, um, you know, I tried and, and I did finish it. Um, it was very hard for me at the time. You know, the run was definitely a shuffle. Um, I used to be a swimmer quite a while back when I was in school. So the swim was okay. Um, and the bike, you know, I got through it. <laughs> um, but then from that point, I feel like that's kind of where my determination sort of started. So there were a lot of people, friends actually, who told me that it wasn't going to happen. Like they were just, they're like, we just want to be real with you. You've just got to, you know, just, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, you're not going to be able to, cause I'm like, yeah, well I want to eventually one day I want to do an Ironman. And, you know, I was 160 kilos still at the time that I did my first um, triathlon. Um, yeah, so it kind of just grew from there. Um, about a, a month later, I did a, a sprint distance. And then from there, uh, I think it was six months later, I did an Olympic distance, which was in Noosa. Um, and then from that point, I'm like, right, I'm ready. <laughs> time to do a 70.3. So I did my first half. I'm in, in Cairns um, and then went on to do a full six months later, <laughs> which, you know, even my coach at that point was like when I finished Cairns and I told her I was going to do Busso, 
she's like, oh, that's six months' time. That's, you know, that's not a lot of time to prepare for a full Ironman. Um, but I was so determined at that point. Nothing was stopping me. You know, once I'd set something in my mind, I was going to do it. So, yeah, Busso, um, finished Busso. It was a little bit of a disappointing day, you know. Um, the swim was cancelled because of the sharks. Um, we had bushfires on the yeah. bike, uh, and it was just genuinely incredibly hot mm. on the run. So finished it though, um, and still wasn't happy because, you know, obviously with a cancelled swim, I, I felt like I just couldn't really claim yeah. it yet. And that's when I went and did Cairns just just yeah. earlier this year. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's just been an incredible journey. You know, to finish Cairns, I was just expecting to finish, you know, just before cutoff. Um, but I did 14 and a half hours, so wow. I was not expecting that. You know, my coach, when I finished, she's like, Elle, turn around and look at your time. Wow. And I saw that. I'm like, no, no, maybe they've got that wrong. She's <laughs> like, no, that's your time. So, you know, that was that was amazing for me to see that time. And I'm like, wow. And she goes, you weren't just a, a competitor. You were, a con- you were an age group contender. That's amazing, you know. From where I've come from to where I am now, that's that's just awesome. So, yeah, and then about six weeks ago, um, Ironman announced me as their ambassador to be coming to Kona, which has been my dream since this whole triathlon journey started. You know, I heard about this Kona place and I'm like, why does everyone keep talking about it? Uh-huh. Um, and started to do a bit of research. And when I started to get into the more the Ironman distances and the 70.3s, it's when it sort of, you know, I'd started watching YouTube videos constantly over and over and over and just it was a dream to come here. So I'm, here I am and I'm, yeah, I'm so excited. Um, just and when you actually got to be your, the largest you were, what, what actually happened to actually get you to that point? Is it inactivity? Is it just eating? Diet. Is it what, what, what actually, so for, for helping some of our listeners who never would have been to that place, what's mm-hmm. it like actually going there and how did you actually get to that point? It's a very dark place. Um, it's it's not a fun place to be, you know, so bullying was huge for me. I, I copped bullying everywhere I went nearly. And there's a shame, isn't there? Uh, pardon? There's like a shame that you guys... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I lived in Mount Isa at the time in Queensland and, you know, even just walking to go to the shops, I'd have local kids kids you know making rumbling noises as as I'm walking and telling their friends that the concrete's cracking because of me and I could hear that but my way of dealing with it I guess was just putting on this front like I was real tough and I didn't care and then I'd go and I'd sit in my car and just burst into tears and to deal with it I'd go straight to McDonald's and get food and then I'd sit in my car and eat it because I knew that I shouldn't be eating it but it made me feel better, so, but I knew I'd have to hide because people would judge me for eating it. So it, it's just, it's a vicious, it's a vicious cycle, I guess. And food kind of became my happy place, but it's a, a weird happy place because mm. after it's, it's I'd finished. Regret. Pardon? It's filled with regret. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. is. You know, after I'd had it, I felt horrible, but while I was eating it, mm. it just felt, I felt happy and content and, you know, yeah, it's, it, And that, you know, with surgery, that doesn't stop any of that. So surgery is is literally, it's just on your stomach. You know, it doesn't change how you feel and think about Mm. food. Um, It doesn't change cravings. You still get your cravings and all that sort of thing. That that psychological side of it is incredibly hard to kick. And I still find myself fighting day by day, you know, with certain things. So 
Um, I, I feel like that's been one of the hardest parts of my journey is, is psych- psychologically mm-hmm. <laughs> getting, yeah. you know, trying to teach myself not to not to want that bad stuff and not to be thinking about food as, as a comfort. And, you know, and I've tried to try to sort of turn that focus of I need something, I'm, I'm having a bad day, I need something to make me feel better, oh, food to okay no let's go for a run or let's go for a ride you'll feel better after that I guarantee it you know it's a bit of effort yeah but you feel so much better and it's different to food because food you eat it and then you feel horrible Mm. whereas you go for a run and when you get back you're on this high and it's amazing and you feel great so I guess it's just training yourself to know how that feels and and what you know so you've developed really healthy tools to deal with the struggles of life yeah okay so so How's your identity shifted? Well, so people ask this a lot. So I'm, I'm still me. I'm still L. Obviously, you know the outsides yeah. changed a bit. I'm, I'm certainly, like I said, I wasn't a determined person when I was at my biggest, but I'm definitely a very determined person now. Um, I'm very much like I want to help others. I want to help others, you know, and. I know what it's like to be struggling with with that. I know exactly what it's like and it's not fun. So I want to be the support, you know, who they can come to and and talk to me, you know, whether they want to have surgery because you do get judged. You do get judged if you go and have weight loss surgery and I I get that every day. Um, But it shouldn't be like that. It works, it works, eh? Yeah, you know know what? Um, Drug... People who have drug problems, they go and they get help, yeah. and that's what that's what this is. And I think if your weight is that much of a problem, that I mean, I couldn't even walk properly, you know. Um, go and do something about it. Go and, regardless, who cares what other people are going to think? Do it for yourself because it's not worth losing your life over because you're worried about what somebody's going to say to you because you had surgery. You know, it's not cheating. Absolutely not. You, you say that um, you're still the same old Ali, but I'm kind of curious. Do you feel you're more of that more often? You know, because you're saying that when I was overweight, you know, it's kind of the shame and there's this hiding of myself. Yeah, so, okay, so I wasn't huge when I was younger, right? So I used to swim for Queensland um, and I used to drive boats and work on the dive boats out of Cairns and I was, I loved my life so much back then. You know, I lived on the islands in the Sundays for a bit. It was great. I was this bubbly, happy person all the time. And I feel like I kind of lost myself for a little bit. You know, it would have been a good maybe, what, 12, 13 years of my life that I kind of just lost myself and I was depressed, unhappy, you know, and I wasn't L. I wasn't L. I was this other person that I'd become. And I feel like now I'm me again. This is this is me and this is who I actually am. You know, that wasn't me. That was somebody else. And it's like I was maybe like a, a devil or something inside me that's just come out now and... and I'm, I'm back to what I used to be, you know. I was quite competitive when I was a swimmer and now, you know, obviously it's not swimming. Well, there's, there's a competitive streak. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And what are you hoping for the for the rest of this week? Are you just looking at this as a fun week and go out there and do the best you can or have you got any expectations or aspirations for the week and the day? No, I'm definitely going out there to really enjoy what Kona has to offer. Um, this is a tough course and you know this is this is this is the this is the place of Ironman so I'm absolutely just going to go out there and 
and take what this island has to offer, you know, not just, not just, you know, that, well, the ocean, you know, the, the swell, the wind on the bike, the heat, you know, I take it all in and enjoy it. <laughs> just, just lastly, um, let's be honest, most of our audience aren't the people who are the way you were at, yep. but I'm sure they know people and, maybe, you know, would probably look to use you as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. What would you tell the person who is in that place right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of things you could tell, but if you could kind of just a couple of words that would kind of encourage them to maybe change their journey. Mm-hmm. Anything's possible. Um, it's definitely not going to be an easy journey and it's going to be very hard work but if you're willing to put in the work you will get the results 100%. And if people want to follow you, um, it looked like you have quite an active Facebook page or if people want to follow your journey what's the best way to do that? Yeah so my Instagram is my main social media um, which is just L's underscore journey underscore two underscore good (laughs) underscore health. Um, but I am on Facebook also, which again is Elle's journey to good health without the underscores. Yeah. Well, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're a bloody rock star. Awesome. <laughs> Kick butt in the race. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Okay, so we're uh, sitting here in Lava Java, having done the aquathon, and it's time to get to chatting to a few of our listeners. And one of the things I really want to do over here is chat to some age groupers who manage to fit. I mean, the majority of the field's age groupers, but those who have got some family, got full-time work, and uh, still managed to figure it out. So we've got Nick Nose, or Nick the Admiral Rose here. Welcome along to the show. Hello. Hiya. Tell us a little bit about your journey to getting here. You've been here before, but tell us about uh, this time around. Uh, so we arrived on Saturday on the island, but we set off on Friday. Stayed over in LAX for one night. Uh, the transfer was just a little bit too short. There were, there were stories about immigration and taking forever so it just didn't want to be running through the airport with two kids a pram a bike four bags um, so we got here Saturday at lunchtime and it's been amazing you, you, I was talking to you before and you're saying how this year it seems to be a lot busier than normal yeah yeah so two things I've noticed um, one is how busy it's been when I've been before it normally gets like this about Wednesday but from the day we day we arrived on Saturday it's been nuts There's, the piers packed the shops are packed, the restaurants are packed, um, it's just so much busier. And there's, to, I think to accommodate the amount of people here and to make a bit more money, they have three different expos as well, like a tribal one, a flower one and a, and a, a retro one. There's yeah. so much kit around as well just to satisfy the Iron Man. How's the freebie uh, stash going so far? Oh, it's, yeah, we're going to be in trouble on the way home with the weight. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your um, trajectory to getting back to the race? So tell us how you got here and uh, getting back to doing again. Okay, so the idea was to try and come back for Kelly's 40th birthday. Uh, that <laughs> great birthday present for her. <coughs> of course. I get yeah. so generous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's Hawaii after all. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you can't plan for qualifying, so that didn't quite work out. Um, so I set a goal of qualifying in Florida last year and on pain of death do not come back unless you've qualified and I managed to sneak in in fifth and took a slot. Um, So how do do you make it work you know maybe think back to your first time over here um, how have you managed to consistently stay in the sport when so many others drop away and also keep a consistently high standard? Okay because I'm a selfish bastard and uh, pretty much no um, Kel, it's all down to family. Kel is really supportive. Um, she helps out with uh, the kids more than I could ever wish for. Um, pretty much does most of the work while I'm out training. But I also do a lot of things like uh, I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to do bike sessions. It's, it's not as early as some of the guys you've spoken to. You have to get up at 4. 
but I also have uh, Rosie O'Clock. So I, at 10 o'clock, I'll be on a trainer, and it doesn't make any difference to me. I, I could train at 10 o'clock, get off the bike, have a drink, and go to bed. I don't sleep until 2 o'clock trying to get, or I don't stay awake till 2 o'clock to try and wear it off. And I, I just train whenever I can. How do you give back to your wife? Because obviously she's making a big sacrifice for you to do the sport. What way do you kind of show the appreciation and what do you give back to make sure she feels that? I'm sure it's... Other than trips to Hawaii. <coughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, and other, we can't disclose everything on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's not enough. Um, and occasionally I'm reminded of it because it gets to the point where I think I'm doing enough, but when, when she's had enough, she'll tell me. Um, but giving back, um, time, she needs time away, not necessarily from our kids, but just time away on our own to go and do some stuff. Plus, we like to try and get away for breaks on our own without the children to go to city breaks. We love cities, bit of culture. Um, sometimes it's wrapped up in a race, but you know we try and com separate that completely. What about training-wise? You know, um, everybody always loves to know people that are at this level how much training you do and, and um, what sort of routine you have. Is it all the way through the year? But so, how do you how do you train? Okay, um, I I've been coached since I started doing tri uh, Ironman triathlon. So I've probably been coached on and off for about 16 years. And this year, or the last couple of years, I've been working with Chris Standich, who was second overall age grouper at South Africa Worlds. Um, he's very, very good at working out what I need when I need it. I don't train long hours, 12, maybe 13 hours a week, uh, ramping up to maybe 15 or 16 at the most. Some weeks it's down as eight, nine recovery, because it's as important. Um, and the main thing is consistency. So it's just consistency. So even if you're having a bad week, just you know, recover, repeat, recover, repeat, and just try not to take too many long breaks. So recovery doesn't need to be a week, two weeks off, um, but I think just hard work as well. So is that sort of year round? So how do you, how do you structure your year? You know, you guys have got your your, your British summer, um, yep. but how do you what do you do the rest of the year? Um, so when I finish this, I know that I'm going to have a few weeks off doing nothing, uh, catching up with family, doing the bits I haven't managed to catch up in the last few weeks because it's been quite a hard build. Um, but I'm already signed up for Greece, 70.3 in April. Um, so there'll be a few more indoor sessions being planned, but it's shorter. 70.3 is going to be, for me, easier in time than it will be in effort. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about, there's no periodization, I don't think, anymore. But I mean, my team, they like to do it in blocks. So train, good block, and then race a few times, and then recover, and then build again, rather than doing one race, then another race, and try and keep building for each race. Do a, a bit of recovery, big block, do another couple of races, and then recover again. Uh, what advice would you give to people that are sort of getting towards the fringe of being able to try to get here? You know, what, what was, was there anything in particular that you did that helped you go from that level where you may be finishing 10th in the age group and you've got to be finishing 5th. Is there any advice you'd give to people um, on what they need to do? Um, one I've mentioned before, so the consistency. Um, the other one is if you're looking at Kona slots, what I used to do is I used to look at the last place that qualified from the year before and aim to just beat that and everything changes every year. They all get faster. So look at the first place and try and aim higher. Mm. Yeah, you absolutely. know. 
yeah, higher chance getting there that way. What about this weekend? You know, you've done the race before. What, what's the kind of plan? The goal? Are you in, are you in you, what you feel your best? Like how how's the race going to go? Um, I'm going to struggle more than I normally would in the swim without a wetsuit because I generally use a wetsuit for every race. So I know I'm going to lose a few minutes. Um, the bike solid. Um, I do have a power number, but the weather changes everything over here. So I'll just stick to my numbers, and if it's not quite working out, I'll just go a bit more on feel. Um, the run's the main thing here, I think. Getting off the bike, feeling okay, and then being able to run from aid station to aid station, that's my aim. Get my nutrition in at the aid stations, but try not to walk in between, and just stick to my ability. You know, you were doing an interview yesterday, I was listening to... So yeah, it was I, interesting, Frodeno said it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, um, no willy-wanging, yeah. there's no need. Yeah. Uh, try and get a bit of space on the Queen K, which I know you've said is quite hard, John. Um, and just stick to what I know. Don't try and race anybody because when you get to the run, it's you're all on your own. Uh, any shout outs or plugs you want to give? Um, I'm an ambassador for Bicmo, who's a bike insurance company in the UK. Uh, they're great. They've got me here uh, with a new bike. Uh, I unfortunately managed to break my bike eight weeks ago. Um, also, X Endurance, who I'm an ambassador for as well. Um, Everybody over here is getting a sample of the old Fuel 5. Yeah. So I'm on Fuel 5, X Endurance, Immune Boost. Um, love their products, use them consistently. And my coach, Chris Danich, um, and the wife, yeah. Kelly Rose. She is wise, oh, very wise man. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and anyone that's helped me on the way, do you know what, at home there's so much support as well, and it's brilliant. Just to know that people are watching. They're, even, they're having Kona parties. There's some guys oh, having a Kona it? party. It's brilliant. Cool. Yeah. Well, good Thank luck you. on the weekend, mate. Oh, have a good race. Thank you very much. Okay, John, we've got Mark Jones here. Where are you from, Mark Jones? Well, I'm from England, but I live in Amsterdam. Apparently you're a man who travels all around the world. Yeah, that's, that's about right, actually. I think one of my Ironmans, I went from India to Dubai, then I went to the US, and then I, I turned up in Florida to do, the, uh, to do the Ironman. I travel a bit. He's a spy. He's, <laughs> that's my prediction. So how do you make all the training work? Yeah, John, as you know well, right, when you <laughs> attempted to train me, um, I'm not sure that I do make it work very well. You just got to be regimented, right? When you're on the road, it's a pair of trainers in the in the bag. You sort out a gym as much as you can. Try, you know, try swim if you can, and then basically your weekends you hit the bike as much as you can. I've even installed a Tax Neo downstairs in my house now with a big screen in front of me. That's what I do. Because it's hard when you travel. For anyone, routine is the first thing that gets lost when you're traveling. I suppose someone who's experienced as a traveler, have you found to have routine within travel? Yeah. Yeah, when I get somewhere, usually if I can, I'll, I'll go for a run or I'll get in the gym. I'll, I'll do that. It, it takes me into the time zones or wherever I am. I tend to be a little bit antisocial in the evening sometimes, you know, takes me out of going to the bar or whatever and I'll try and do a little bit more. Um, and then you just got to try and draw a line. Sometimes everything goes wrong and you, you just have to, you have to be flexible. Yeah. Uh, and what's your path been to getting to Kona? How have you managed to get to Kona? Uh, well, um, I did it the legacy way. Oh, great. So I'm up to, I'm up to 20 Ironmans now. Wow. Yeah. Is this 20? This will be 21. Wow. And, uh, and after this, actually, I'm going to Argentina. I'm going to do Mar del Plata. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, I learned last year, November, that I got through on the legacy. And, um, you know, I've got close. Actually, I got close in Norway this, this, this year. So I'd already got my legacy spot. I came fifth in a in my age group. Bit, bit of a smaller field to Norway, um, but yeah, I've gone down the legacy route. 
but, but uh, it's, it's great. And what's that moment like when you find out you've made it? Because you've committed a lot to the sport to get that moment where you actually go, shit, I'm coming to the Big Island. What's it like? I'm not going to lie. Um, I was sat downstairs. I was watching uh, TV and I just happened to look at the email come in. And um, two floors up, my wife, my son and my daughter all heard the scream. Oh, really? What wow. they didn't see was I actually... I actually had tears. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. It was really, it was really emotional, actually. Yeah, yeah. And then I sent the, em- then this disbelief. I sent the email off to two other people who qualified for Kona, and I said, "Are you sure? Are you sure that this is an invite? I'm, yeah. Are you sure I'm going?" Yeah, it felt amazing. Wow, it's pretty, it's a pretty special. What's it like to actually be here? I got, I got fruit and granola. What's it like being here? It's just, it's special. <laughs> We've got breakfast turning up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carry sorry. So it looks like some of the breakfast turned yeah, up. Yeah, all the breakfast all is turning up right now. What did you get? Did you get granola as well? No, that's mine. That's mine. We're just sorting out our breakfast. Lava Java is bloody awesome. Awesome, thank you. Um, you got a lot of breakfast there. So what's it like being here then? Being here is really special. Um, I arrived on Friday night and, um, you know, I did come a couple of years back just to have a kind of quick look around, which made it a little bit easier. But, you know, basically, as soon as I got here, like a day after, I went out on the bike. You know, I went down the Queen K. I did my long session, 130K. That was super, that was super special. But for me, the most special thing is, is Digby Beach. I've been down there every morning. The crowd, you know, the crowd gets bigger. Just swimming out there, see the view back here. I mean, I sound a little bit like a tourist, but it's just, it's incredible. And I think, like I said to you guys before, you know, I managed to actually just sit with Dave Scott yeah. and have a chat with him for 15 minutes and Mark Allen and talk with him. And so the whole thing has just been amazing, absolutely amazing so far. And I felt really at peace with the, with the ocean, which for me as a bad swimmer is actually the, that's the thing that's always worried me about this place is like, how will I cope with the swim? Um, you may have said before, I was, I was focusing on my food. When, uh, <laughs> so I like you. <laughs> in terms of the legacy program, uh, how long did it take for you to actually get your, when you put your application into actually getting your slot? Yeah, two years. Two years. So, um, so yeah, I, this, basically this is two years. Yeah. So the reality is less than two years. But I understand it's, it's now getting a lot longer. It's mm. getting quite heavily backed up. And I think, I mean, I remember on one of your podcasts, you were saying they're now... They're actually now telling you this is the year when you will yeah, be in. Yeah, which is a better way of doing it. the future. And I've also said you don't have to do Ironman. You can do a 70.3 or a 5150. Yeah, USA. yeah. And I know you guys are fans of that. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's just fear. Because you know, an Ironman's big commitment. Let's say it's three years away. If you've got to do an Ironman every year, it's a big commitment life-wise, you know. So. I guess so. I mean, I, I agree with that. But, I mean, for me... You did it the hard way. Well, I've, I've been doing... Not to get into legacy, but just purely for the love of this thing... I mean, I've been doing three a year now for for the last four years, and I did five in the year before that, I think. Uh, but that's for the love of it. Not, I didn't do it to get into the legacy. I did it for the love of it. It's just great. I enjoy it. What is a successful day on the weekend for you? Mm-hmm. What is a successful day on the weekend for you? First and foremost, to get across that line and really feel feel what it's like to get across the line. But secondly, you know, if I get if I get a great bike, I don't mean really hammer it and get a super time but if I just feel that I get off that bike with fit legs to have a good run unlike in Lanzarote where I've never got off the bike with fit enough legs to have a really good run that would be a real success for me as well actually 
awesome. We'll kick some butt and uh, enjoy yourself out there. I yeah, will do. Go your Thanks, rocks, guys. Love your work. Hey, and it's great to meet you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, your name and where you're from? Uh, Finn, and I'm from, originally from the Netherlands. And, and where do you live now? Well, that's a good question. Where do you live now? Oh, complicated. Uh, my wife's from New Zealand, so that's where I'm trying to live, but uh, the job is in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Uh, tell us about your journey to getting here. It's your se second time in Kona, um, but what's your journey to, to A, qualifying the first time round and, uh, and getting here second time round? Okay, the first time uh, qualifying was uh, three years ago um, when they first opened up China. I did one of those uh, 70.3s and uh, I qualified. I was still 49, so that was a bit of a bonus. Yeah, that's good, yeah. But then my friends gave me so much shit about qualifying on a half that... <laughs> the rules are wrong, it's okay. <laughs> you play by the rules though. Well, I then went to South Africa and came fourth there. Oh, wow. So I qualified properly. What's, what's South Africa like? We hear a lot about the race. What's it like? Yeah, it's really good, especially from Dubai, because uh, you just fly down, hardly any time difference. Uh, and it's really good for us uh, in terms of timing. Because the uh, Dubai is all about training in the winter, mm. and then you go down to South Africa, and that's brilliant. So, uh, and the course, the course is uh, yeah, maybe not too dissimilar from this. A bit flatter, rough roads, but uh, yeah, can be quite hot. Anyway, I've uh, been successful at that race, and because it's a championships, the the slots go down quite far, yeah. so you get sometimes six or seven slots in your age group. Yeah. Yeah. But the big question a lot of people have with South Africa is, do you, I, I was there in 2001. He was leading the race. <laughs> yeah, stupidly. Um, how big a deal is the safety like? Do you have to be just sensible? Because a lot of people that maybe aren't experienced travellers, is it, is it as bad as some people say? Or what do you, what do you have to do? No, you just, you just be sensible. So maybe don't go out at night and stuff like that. But we lived in Africa for quite a long time before, uh, places like Kenya and stuff, it's far worse than, than South Africa. And this year, uh, I was at the, uh, I'm doing the double this year, so I was at the, uh, the 70.3 as well. Um, and they were put out a lot of police and everything else, and I don't think anything happened. So, no, uh, I think you can get mugged anywhere these days. So tell us a little bit about your job, how you fit training in, and, and also a little bit about what training is like in Dubai, for those of sort of not quite understanding of the conditions you guys have to deal with. Uh, my job is, uh, I, fly, I fly planes, I fly A380s for uh, Emirates. Um, good job, but uh, irregular timings. Yeah. Um, but I also work in the office, so I can compensate a little bit. And uh, I've got some influence on my roster. Um, so it's quite hard, but it's reasonable to combine it. And the problem in Dubai is the summer, a bit like winter in Christchurch, I guess, but the other way around. So it's 50, literally 50 or over degrees in the summer. So yeah, you end up spending a lot of time indoors. So uh, yeah, I hate that indoor trainer, but I spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> Have you been using an indoor trainer for years and years? Have you been using an indoor trainer for a long time? Yes, I have, yeah. So have you, have you, have you found with, with the evolution of all the tools we have now, like the Swift, like the Trainer Roads, has it really changed the game for you guys? A little bit. I mean, uh, yeah, Trainer Road was quite good. Uh, I now use Swift a bit more. Makes it a little bit more interesting, but, but it's still, uh, still a bit of a killer. Oh. And also I found out with a lot of indoor training, it's, 
Yeah, you put out a watts, but it doesn't necessarily uh, translate in speed on uh, on the road. Oh, really? Uh, just, just like going back to your flying, the thing, your time clock, because I imagine <laughs> when you're flying, you know, you, you're going different time zones all the time. You're flying the A380s, you're going big distances. So how do you manage that with your training? No, yeah, you just have to. <laughs> oh, really? And people say you get used to it. No, you don't. Really? I mean, uh, the human body is not designed to do that. Oh. So, uh, no, it, it's tough. Um, but, yeah. Then again, you know, you get a few days off. If you do a long trip, so I fly to New Zealand quite a lot, um, and that's a 16, 17-hour flight. But then you got two days off before, two days after, and you spend about uh, two days there. So it's kind of, yeah, yeah. You just have to make it work. What's success for you this weekend? Um, going a bit faster than last year. Last year I was uh, had an injury over the summer. So I couldn't run very fast. This year I'm not uh, not injured, but I'm fat. <laughs> so there's always something. <laughs> have, you, have you got any arch rivals that you want to make sure you beat out there? Uh, no, actually. But I've just heard my uh, arch rival is uh, is trying to comp- come to Kona next year. So maybe uh, it'll be on for next year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyone you want to give a plug to? Anybody want to give a plug to? Anyone you want to give a shout out to? His wife, who's standing about three meters. Yeah, I better, I better mention it. <laughs> Sam, his wife. What's Sam's surname? Sam Dobson, isn't it? Her yes. surname is Dobson. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So no, she's been uh, yeah, a a reluctant but good support. Nice. <laughs> hey, well, good luck this weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Good luck with the show, guys. Thank you. Um, what I got to talk to feel good, Dave Dwan, a local now. A local. How long have you been living here for? Five months now, man. Hey, what, what do you like about it? Um, open the window and the sun's shining every day. Yeah. It's great. Shorts and t-shirt, can't complain. Or oh, speedos. Or oh, speed. Yeah, yeah. As if. Back it up. Back it up. <laughs> What's it like? You know, because you like this place isn't like this all the time. What's it like coming into this week where everyone just kind of turns up? It's pretty crazy. Um, normally, it's a lot, obviously a lot quieter, but right now um, the town's getting really excited. I, I like it. It's just got a lot of buzz around the town. Locals love it, even though it's a bit of a pain. They know it brings in like forty plus million. So, so there's not that much anti. No, no. Oh, it's a few, but they just normally go get on a plane and leave. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's like uh, fourteen thousand people coming here for this event, and over forty million bucks into the into the economy. So it's not bad. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth doing, isn't it? For sure. You should have more days of it. We make, do. Make, make <laughs> it a week long. Oh, and then there's, there's um, the Ultraman coming in November as well. That yeah. doesn't bring as many people in, but it's still it's good for the island. This actually saves Kona as far as the economy goes because this is normally their really flat period because uh, okay. the su- summer summer ends and then they go into winter and then they wait till uh, Thanksgiving when all the snowbirds come, come over yeah yeah because yeah. it's a big it's a big boat town isn't it big like cruise ships and stuff like that yeah I, every once a week couple of times a week they bring the cruise boats in yeah good times what's your predictions for the weekend mate uh, I won't win this year oh mate I had my money on you <laughs> Oh, I'm it. I put the house on it. I, I, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be really tight. Again, someone said the other day, it's all going to depend on the weather. On the weather. If it's windy, it's going to break the field up for sure. But if it's a calm day, any, it's anyone's game. Come on, mate. Good, good seeing you. Feel good. Talk Love you, work. Okay, I've got John Newsom. The, the, I'm assuming it's unofficial at this stage, but we're going to find out the official results really soon. But 2018 champion of the Aquathon. Tell us about your race. Well, the thing is, we don't know how much longer the Aquathon's going to live, so I've kind of figured... Got to get my name on that trophy somehow. So we started differently this time. We did a mass start. Dave's got a small swizzled over there. Uh, And then we worked out the handicaps afterwards. And it looks like I thought halfway, I thought Bevan had me. It was pretty close. 
but he must have faded in the second half. Yeah, I had no fight, I'm going to be honest. But what I do have to say, I don't like your new system. You don't? Okay. No, because I like the idea that you can see who you're chasing. Yes. You're just a bit too far ahead, so you know what I mean? I like it when it's the other way around, where everyone's kind of getting close to the end at the same time. 2020, we'll revert back to the yeah, old system. I think we do have to go back to the old system. I think the handicaps were probably pretty fair. Pretty fair, yeah. although they did work to your advantage as it seems. It, it did, yes, but now we know. Next time, yes. next time I'll give you an extra 30 seconds. And your name will be on that trophy. There we go, it's John Newsom, current champion of the Equathon Challenge. Oh, you got Dr. Andrew Lawrence here. He uh, did the Equathon Challenge, came in third, was it? Third, yeah. What about with the handicap? What was your handicap? Uh, uh, my overall physical conditioning and lack of talent. Um. <laughs> well, you performed well in, in the handicap. Uh, you're here this year as more of a spectator. Have you been here before? No, this is our first year to the Big Island for race day. Uh, we've been here on holiday before with one of John's camps, which yep. is good fun. So this year I'm here at a conference doing some medical stuff on the side and in the medical tent on Saturday. Which so you do the medical tent. Have you done a medical tent at an Ironman before? I have at Ironman New Zealand a couple of times. What do they teach you going into this? You know, because obviously you know yourself as a doctor, but it's a bit of a unique situation. Now you have a history as, a, as an athlete, so I'm sure you're aware of the needs. But what are the things they teach you? Yeah, so the big things that are really life-threatening and concerning for the guys finishing here for the faster finishes, it's heat illness, so acute heat stroke, and then for the slower guys, it's hyponatremia, where they've they've taken on too much water and not got enough salt. And so it's worse than like okay, wow. Yeah. Wow. So those would be the really big things, and then there's all sorts of acute injuries which just pop up in the course of any normal sporting event, so ankle sprains, eye injuries, that sort of stuff. So. What about um, how hectic is it in the, in the medical tent after a race? I've not done this one before. In Taupo it's usually pretty relaxed, it's a cooler climate, the field isn't as big as here and people probably aren't going quite as hard out as, unless, except for the total winners. It's steady but it's usually not frantic, although I've seen photos of some of the places like Boston Marathon which are just crazy. Yeah. So, uh, what are you enjoying about the week so far? Like, it's only like a couple of days into it, but as a lover of the sport, someone who's played the game for a long time, what's it like to be here? Yeah, it's a great place to be. It's such a cool place to be able to get up every morning, go for a swim, jog up and down Ali Drive. I, I wish I'd bought my bike. Oh, yeah. yeah, my biggest regret probably is that a couple of the real big superstars like Frodo and um, Terenzo aren't here this yeah. week, which is pretty gutting. Yeah, but yeah. And what about race day? What, do you, what are the plans? Uh, so, we'll get up and watch the swim. Uh, probably go back to the hotel, grab some breakfast, watch some bike stuff and then have a relax and then I kick off in the medical tent about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So, well, well done for being here but also well done for the work you're doing because it's really important. Hey, thanks very much. Keep up the good work. John, last sponsor. I, I, I had a good breakfast this morning. I went with the granola and they had a little... Was it like a papaya yeah, or something papaya like that? Wasn't and it? some yogurt in the middle and then yes. some fresh fruit and then a latte. Because Americans aren't good at coffee, are they? <laughs> uh, well, lava java proves it to be wrong because I was happy with my, my, my bloody latte I tell you fantastic I went for a little bit of uh, waffle action uh, island style waffle side of bacon extra side of uh, Portuguese sausage as well oh, did you the extra side did you we went for the extra side <laughs> the bacon and the sausage yeah so we had great, it's a great venue there it's a much much if you've been to Lava Java in the past it was a small place wasn't it small yeah. um, now they've got heaps more space they've got a bar there so you can go and have a few drinks possibly not at um, 8.45 in the morning but they've also got a big upstairs area as well so um, definitely if you're over here whether it be for races or whenever go check out Lava Java tell you what if I'm racing if you are here listening to this it's a great spot to hang out on race oh, day so especially much the run yeah yeah you know get one of those balcony spots to be sealed day 
You're giving me ideas, Bevan. Yeah, well, you know, I'm full of that, mate. Uh, quickly, just our main sponsor who always supports the show. Extreme Endurance. So if you haven't heard of them before, if you're a new listener to the show, check it out, xendurance.com. They also have the European and UK websites. Use the promo code IMTALK20. Their standard product, Extreme Endurance, massively helps your performance on race day, but equally as important, your recovery afterwards. And as Bevan said earlier, we're handing out plenty of their Fuel 5 product this morning, which is their sports drink. Fantastic tasting drink. So check it out, xendurance.com. And one other thing, just uh, we are, pat- I want to say thank you to patrons of the show. I Am Talk is a podcast that's been going for since 2006. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy, really, isn't it? Everyone talks about podcasts, a new thing. We're, we're the old hags. We we're the old hags of this game. And uh, a big reason we've been able to last so long is we've got an amazing bunch of people who support us each week when we do the show. And basically, what happens is if you want to become a patron, you just donate a little bit. And there's levels of patronage, which equals um, gift, the gifting from us, kind of like you think Kickstarter kind of thing. Um, and then you also go in the draw to come to Kona with the boys when we come every couple of years. And we've got Mike, the positions all right next Mike, to us. Yep. He's chilling out over there. Yep. And, Got to uh, meet the stars. Yeah, it's, been, oh, it's a highlight. Yep. Better than his marriage week. Yep. <laughs> now, one, uh, I'm not sure if he's on today's show or tomorrow's show, but uh, Volker, um, we couldn't, I couldn't remember his nickname. It was a really recent one. Volker, the vascular Viking. Oh, how could you forget that? Yeah, how could you forget that, Volker? That's Vulcan? a great nickname. That is gold. So, if you want to be a patron, just go to www.imtalk.me and spread the or, or go through the process. Just lastly, if you are enjoying a Kona Super Specials, do us a favor and just spread them around on your social media feeds on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and just kind of say, hey, you know, to all your triathlon buddies out there. This is a show that's really worth listening to right now. John, just a couple of things to give a plug before we wrap it up. Yeah, so I've got my Kona camp over here. Again, if you are a new listener to the show and don't know about the Kona 70.3, I run a camp over here every year. I've got spaces still for next year. We spend a week on the island just checking out all the good things, go around a volcano, ride on the Ironman course, run on the Ironman course, swim on the Ironman course, and then at the end of the week we do the Kona 70.3, which is down the far end of the island, uh, and it's a Awesome, awesome race. You have a fantastic week, so check it out at epiccamp.com. It is open for pretty much everybody of all abilities. You know, we have athletes that are sort of in the 13 to 14 hour range. If you're, if you, you know, towards the 16, it might be a bit more of a struggle, but just get in touch. And um, and then we've got some, you know, got athletes at the faster end as well. I'll be doing the race and the camp next year, and I'm sort of more down the nine, nine hour end. So we have a really good spread. Have a fantastic week over here. John. John. I said John. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Did I say John, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, John. So just then. Um, John, days on thoughts on day two. It's just, we've been go, 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 Bevan. I'm looking forward just to this afternoon. We have a bit of downtime. We might be going out and looking at the manta rays. Really looking forward to that if we can pull that off. But no, it's been, uh, I can't say busy because that gets, I don't like it when no, people you say busy. busy. Yeah. We've, we, we organised it. I organised a tough schedule. We're sticking to it. We're on time. But there's a lot going on. Uh, but it's all good. Great to meet some age groupers. Try, I tried to ask a few questions, you know, around what's made the difference to get them here because I know a lot of you want to hear that is how the hell do these age groupers get here and, and a few different interesting angles have come up. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Got plenty of rock stars still to come. And uh, the countdown is on. Only a couple more days till the big, uh, the big dance. Game on. It, it is cool. Like we've done it a few times now. We've, how many times have we been? Maybe five, six times? Obviously I'd five. So, it must yeah. be six. Yeah. Because we've done five equathons, haven't we? 
Yes. You know, and I think we did one before. Yeah. Did we do that first year? Yeah. No. 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 So, so probably been six times. You never get sick of it. Nah, it's great. You really don't. Eh? You go up this morning and you turn up to that swim, swim area. And you know what? I don't swim nowadays. And I, you know, it's the Aquathon. You kind of get in the water and you start throwing your arms over. And it's just, what an amazing place to swim, eh? It's nice and warm. It was a little bit uh, murky this morning. I pissed down with rain last night. We were out for dinner and... Uh, just managed to stay Oh, Joe Spriggins. He didn't get in the water because someone told him that the rain makes it unsafe. Potentially, I suppose, when you think about you know things getting washed into the water. Yeah. But no, it was great to meet plenty of the patrons. So, uh, And if you see the boys out and about and you are here over the next couple of days, come say hello. We like kind of meeting all you guys. Yeah, so. If I've got my backpack, I'll make sure I've got a few swim caps on me and a bit more extreme endurance. So if you see us wandering around, come and say hello and get some freebies. I guess so we'll be again back tomorrow. We've got, we've got lots of kind of pro interviews tomorrow. It's got some really good pro interviews tomorrow, actually. So we'll be back tomorrow. Again, spread the word about the show. John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.